Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. And if you're tuning in live on YouTube and Facebook, you are getting a glimpse at our free agency bracket. Back for another season. Production value just through the roof. Just as low as it was last year. Through the roof. We have I think a is what you meant. A, yeah. Look at how straight those lines are. And uh you somebody, did a great job. Somebody spent some time on this. You spent some time on I this. I did. I Thank helped you. collect the names and gather the information about yep. these guys. We have 32 free agents, impending free agents on our bracket here, broken down by position. We're going to get to that in just a little bit as we try to narrow down our prediction for who the Orioles might sign this free agency period. But first and foremost, shout out to our good friend, Tim Leonard, who is moving on to greener pastures, going back up to Syracuse University which uh, you and I both have a, a strong place in our heart for. Yeah. And uh, congratulations, Tim. But he will no longer be on the Mass and All Access podcast, Sad. Yeah. Big congrats to Tim. I think we made too many jokes about how great Syracuse was. He took yeah. it way too literally. And uh, he's back doing cool stuff. He is. He, we might drag him back on the podcast. We're going to try. Occasionally. Yeah. For a draft or so. But that means that our tiebreaker for this uh, bracket is gone. So we are going to have to... Rely on you. It's you. You're the tiebreaker. The viewers, the listeners. Congratulations. You are going to decide when Brendan and I can't come to an agreement on a certain player, whether he should move on or not. You are going to be the tiebreaker for those selections. Uh, You could decide the champion. Exciting stuff. You really could if we disagree. One more thing I do want to get to. Also, we are coming to you Wednesday at 11 a.m. That is our new time. Live on Facebook and YouTube. Wednesdays at 11. Tune in. And then it will be posted on audio platforms shortly thereafter. By the way, give us five stars. Give us a like on YouTube. A thumbs up. Listen on Spotify. Give us a a good review. We'd really appreciate it. All right. Shall we get into the free agency bracket? Let's get right into it. It's going to take quite a long time. I believe this episode went an hour and ten minutes last time. It did. Amy Jennings, our producer. I hope you went to the bathroom before this. All right. Free agency bracket. We have the four positions of catcher, as in backup catcher. We know Adley Rutschman's going to be the starting catcher. We have starting pitcher. We have big bat, which encompasses DH, first base, corner outfield. Essentially, the bat is the primary thing there, not the defense. Yeah, big bat was kind of a bigger category. An amalgamation. And if we broke it down to eight, it kind of turned into DH backup first baseman, and maybe you can play some outfield. Exactly. And then the last category is middle infield, the last region, if you will. If you will. So we have eight members of each category. They are seeded one through eight in terms of our prediction of the likelihood that the Orioles will sign these guys. And that's the key word here is likelihood. It's not what we would do if we were Michael Elias in this front office. It's not if go out and get the best free agents. It's not the best free agent gets the one seed. It is, we think this guy is the most likely. So we are putting him one and we think this guy is the least likely. And there are going to be a lot of names that you're not going to see on this bracket that couldn't fit into this, especially starting pitchers. There are a ton. So if Jacob DeGrom, if, 
I don't know. Dansby Swanson isn't on this bracket and you wanted him to be. I'm sorry. He just missed the cut because we don't think it's likely the Orioles will sign them. But we could very well be wrong. Jordan Lyles was not on this bracket last year and the Orioles signed him. Yeah, if there are players that you think of that did not make the cut for this bracket, let us know. Yell at us. Yeah. Tell us that we're stupid and don't know what free agents the Orioles are going to sign. But, but we did accurately predict two Orioles yeah. that were signed last year in free agency. In our final four here, we had both Robinson Chirinos and Matt Harvey. Yeah. Robinson Chirinos made it to the finals lost. of last year's bracket, lost to Marwin Gonzalez, much to my chagrin. But if you're going to yell at us for being inaccurate, I would like to point to last year yeah. when we were pretty accurate, which does kind of add some pressure to us now. We're going to pump our own tires on that one. We're going to try. All right. This one is more difficult, I think, Brandon, because last year we had a specific type of free agent that we thought the Orioles would sign, and that was more in the bargain region of the bracket because we thought that they were going to sign some guys lower on the payroll, and frankly, they did. They signed Rugnet Odor to a $1 million deal. They signed Matt Harvey, I believe, to a minor league contract at the time. They signed Robinson Chirinos to a very cheap deal. So this free agency period, I think the Orioles have indicated, Michael Elias has given us every indication they're going to be more active. So we have some bigger names here than we did last year and some guys that will probably sign for bigger dollar amounts. But we also are operating at less information because we have not yet seen Michael Elias spend big money on a free agent. So we don't know exactly, one, how much he's willing to commit, how many years he's willing to commit, and what he prefers, what he's looking for in a big-time free agent. Yeah, this is uncharted territory. We don't know how the Orioles operate in an offseason where they are trying to make a playoff push. Last year, you were trying to sign free agents who fill a specific role but also don't block top prospects from coming up and making an impact at the big league level. So we don't really know what the Orioles are going to do. We think there are some holes on this team, like backup catcher, like backup first baseman, like maybe a starting pitcher that need to be filled. But it's entirely possible that the Orioles just don't sign a middle infielder. Or maybe they just go with an in-house option, like yeah. Tyler Nevin for a big bat, or Cam Gallagher is their backup catcher. There are a lot of different scenarios here where the Orioles could just spend money internally, whether that be through arbitration or on contract extensions and don't really spend in free agency. We don't know. So this is our best guess. All right, let's start with catcher. And what the Orioles are looking for in a catcher this year is awfully similar to what they were looking for when they signed Robinson Chirinos last year, which is a backup for Adley Rutschman. Now, Chirinos started the season as the regular catcher until Adley Rutschman came back from injury, but Adley had a very good chance, probably would have made the opening day roster had he been healthy at the time. So I think the Orioles are looking for a Robinson Chirinos-like player in this spot, and that's why Robinson Chirinos is on this bracket, Brendan. Right. But let's start with the one seed, Kirk Casale, going up against the eight seed, Tucker Barnhart. Now, Kirk Casale last year started the year with the Giants, He's 34 years old, going to be in 2023. He hit 203, a singular homer, and had a 1.5 baseball reference war. He was traded to Seattle, but did not play in their playoff games. And then you have you have uh, Tucker, Tucker Barnhart, Barnhart, who was traded last offseason, had a $7 million option that was picked up by Detroit after he was traded from Cincinnati. He's a switch hitter. He hit 221, also a singular homer with a 554 OPS in 94 games. You're going to see a lot of guys with low offensive numbers yep. in this category because that's what the market holds right now. And the guys that hit better 
are going to be starting catchers somewhere. So don't have incredibly high expectations, but Brendan, I put Kirk Casale here because I think he's a good catcher, but I don't think he's good enough to get a starting job on a quality team. Yeah, I think the fact that he didn't play in crunch time is an indication of how the league feels about Kirk Casale. I don't think he's going to be a starter anywhere. Tucker Barnhart had a down year last year, so it's possible that a team is able to get him on a cheaper prove-it deal, but I think Barnhart, given his track record, is still a starter somewhere, and so I don't think the Orioles are going to be able to get him, which is why he's the eight seed. I think Casali takes this one. Yeah, I do too. I think this catcher is probably going to have to start maybe 40 games behind the plate, maybe DH some, but you're not going to look for a starting caliber catcher and a guy is not going to want to sign here if he intends to be a catcher full time. So I think Kirk Casali moves on. Yeah, it's Casali. All right. As I write this and twist around, we have our four versus five. Yeah, the four versus five is an interesting matchup. At the four, you have Austin Hedges, who is not good offensively. (laughs) He had a 163 batting average, seven homers, an OPS under 500, but he is Excellent defensively, which is probably what you'd be looking for in a backup catcher. He's also a right-handed hitter. He did play in the playoffs for the Cleveland Guardians, which indicates that, yeah, even though he's not good offensively, he brings so much defensive value that he is still a valuable player. And then Robinson Chirinos at the five seed. I think Orioles fans were probably not thrilled with the production they got out of Chirinos last year. Chirinos was seen as a bit more of an offensive catcher than a defensive one, and he didn't really provide you much value on either side. What are you thinking with this one, Brendan? They're both righties, and I think the Orioles will probably, if they can, if they have a choice, I think they'll go for the best option. But if they, in a vacuum, could choose between a righty and a lefty, I think they would go for a righty. Yep. Because Adley, right now, through a small sample size, hits better from the left side of the plate. Do you think they opt for their old friend in Robinson Chirinos or go with a different name in Austin Hedges? Yeah, I think it's Hedges between the two. I know Hedges is not great offensively, but he is much better defensively than Robinson Chirinos. And I think if you're looking for a backup catcher, you would rather live with not great offensive numbers from somebody who is solid defensively versus Chirinos who could continue that downward trajectory at the plate, but still not give you much on the defensive side. This is close for me. I think the difference and what gives Austin Hedges the edge is that he's 30 years old and Robinson Torinos is 39. The Austin Edges. The Austin Edges. I like that. So I think this one, the Orioles have shown that they're willing to bring guys back if they like them. And they clearly liked what they had in Robinson Torinos as a clubhouse guy. However, 39-year-old versus a 30-year-old bouncing back a little bit offensively because he had a down year. I mean, Hedges was not good offensively, as you said, but there's reason to believe he could get better. So I think Austin Hedges moves on here. Next up, Brendan, this is the three versus the six seed. The three seed is Omar Narvaez, and the six seed is Gary Sanchez. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup because I think Narvaez, if it hadn't been for the down season last year, we're probably looking at as a starter because Narvaez in 2021 was an all-star, but in 2022... The offensive numbers aren't great. It's just yeah. 206 with four homers, a 587 OPS in 84 games. He's solid defensively, not excellent. I think Narvaez is teetering on the line of being a starting catcher. Gary Sanchez, I think, is a starter. I know he has some question marks defensively, but for Gary, 
659 OPS, 10 homers, not great offensive numbers, but they're still decent for a catcher. And Sanchez is a little bit younger, has flashed upside, obviously had some great seasons with the Yankees where he looked like one of the best catchers in baseball. I think Gary Sanchez still gets a starting job somewhere. And I think the only way the Orioles convince him to stay, or excuse me, convince him to sign in Baltimore is if he becomes your primary designated hitter which I don't think he's good enough to be. I think it's possible that they try to make that case to him. However, he's projected to make, according to Spot Track, so don't take this as gospel. These are just guesses. $6.4 million average annual value, whereas Omar Narvaez is projected to make 3.1. I don't think the Orioles are going to sign a catcher for $6 million when they have one of the best young catchers in baseball. Yeah, I go Narvaez. Here. I do too. I thought Gary Sanchez, honestly, coming into this would be higher then I kept looking at his numbers and saying a team is going to think that he is a starting catcher. Yep. And that's why the Twins went and got him last year. And he's still, I mean, he hit up to where they probably thought he would. So I think a team is going to give him a contract. I All agree. right. So Omar Narvaez moves on the three seed. We're going with all chalk so far. Yeah. The one, the four, the three. Very chalk. Now we have the two versus the seven. That's Roberto Perez as the two versus Sandy Leon as the seven. Two older catchers, two guys that have been around. Uh, and two guys that are coming off not excellent seasons for different reasons, Brendan. Yeah, Roberto Perez, I think he might be a starter somewhere. I think I might not go chalk on this one. Spoiler alert, Roberto Perez, 700 OPS last season. There are not a lot of catchers in baseball that have a 700 OPS. And I think Perez might just be a little bit too good to be Adley Rutschman's backup. Sandy Leon was on this bracket last year. I think he was the one seed in the catcher bracket last year. He was. I believe he lost in the finals of the catcher side of the bracket to Robinson Chirinos. Uh, it seems like he's 100 years old because it seems like he's been around forever, but he's entering his age 34 season. Switch hitter OPS just over 500. I think he's probably closer to the archetype that you're looking at here. Here's the thing, though. It was 21 games. That 700 OPS was awesome for Roberto Perez but it was 21 games yep. and he suffered a season ending hamstring strain. He also said uh, he felt like he owed Pittsburgh another season because it was his first year with the pirates and he goes down in May after starting the season pretty well. I don't think those that 700 OPS is going to continue. And I think that hamstring strain at 34 years old is probably going to hamper his value in free agency. So personally, I'm sticking with the number two seed here and going with Roberto Perez over Sandy Leon because Sandy Leon, frankly, isn't giving you much at all offensively at the plate. Didn't hit a single homer last year. Uh, really spent time with three different organizations. Started out with Cincinnati before bouncing to Cleveland and Minnesota. So I think I would opt in this instance for Roberto Perez. I've been swayed. Roberto Perez. <laughs> All right. I, I think that I, easy. I think it is a fair point of the 700 OPS coming in that small sample size. Maybe he doesn't get the starter money that I'm imagining he would. I think that's a fair argument, and I'll go a little bit more All chalky right. with Roberto Perez. All right. All uh, favorites win in the catcher bracket in the first round. Brendan. That they do. Shall we move to Big Bat on your side of the bracket? Yeah. Big Bat. Let's get the this March is Madness an exciting category. There are a lot of big names in Big Bat. Big name, Big Bat. Big name, Bigger Bat. Wow. Well, hopefully. Bigger some guys though are bigger names, smaller bat. Well, we we'll don't want them. those guys. We don't yeah. 
But this is an exciting category. Most of what we're looking at here is somebody that could potentially be a close to everyday DH. Maybe they have the capability of being a backup first baseman or maybe playing a corner outfield, which is exactly what our one versus eight seed can do. Yeah. This is a tough matchup off the bat. Our one seed is Jock Peterson. Nice fun. Eight seed. Thank you. Is Trey Mancini. Jock Peterson, I think, fits exactly what the Orioles need, (laughs) which is a look. If you listen to the podcast last week, you knew that I would be coming into this bracket banging on the theoretical table for Jock Peterson. He is a big left handed power bat was an all star in 2021. You can spend a little bit more money to have him in your lineup pretty much every day. He played up, played backup first base with the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. He can also play corner outfield if you need him to. Say a corner outfield is struggling, maybe an Austin Hayes type. Peterson can easily shift into a corner outfield spot. Trey Mancini provides a lot of similar things as Jock Peterson, but he's right-handed. I don't think that works as well in the Orioles lineup. Peterson gets my vote here. I do think the Orioles will be open to having Trey Mancini back. I don't think that door is closed, but like you said, Brendan, I think they're going to try to opt for a lefty. The case I have against Peterson here is that, is there anything that Jock Peterson gives you other than sure production that you wouldn't hope to get out of a Kyle Stowers type? He is what Kyle Stowers can be. Now, Kyle Stowers isn't that right. guy yet. That That's exactly it. He is what Kyle Stowers can be Kyle Stowers has the potential to be somebody as good as Jock Peterson the Orioles are in a playoff push yeah you can't really settle for Kyle Stowers maybe hopefully being as good as Jock Peterson was last year when you can spend the money and get Jock Peterson also I don't not quite sure why this is the case but Jock Peterson had an 874 OPS and yet he only had 1.3 baseball reference war to put that in context, that's two less war than Ramon Urias, who I know is now a gold glove winner at third base. Yeah, the defense is a big difference. Defense there. is a big difference, but he's not giving you a, a ton of value. I know he's giving you a lot at the plate, but defensively, Kyle Stowers right, is probably going to be, next year, a better defender than Jack Peterson. Would you be willing to play Jack Peterson over Kyle Stowers in a corner outfield when you could be developing? Yes. What about Colton Kowser when Colton Kowser comes up? What if Kowser starts the ground running in April and May in AAA Norfolk, and all of a sudden you got to call him up. Good problems to have. Good problems to have. We The Orioles are in a playoff push. You need to sign good players that are going to be on this team from the jump. Colton yeah. Kowser more than likely isn't going to be on the Orioles until halfway through the season. Kyle Stowers, you hope that he's going to turn into a quality corner outfielder with some power and maybe a Jock Peterson type. You don't know that. Yeah. So go get the established guy when you're trying to win 90 plus games. I'm going to go with man. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go with Jock Peterson here. I didn't. I, I could see your face getting red with anger as you prepared. <laughs> I believe the quote from, from last podcast. I'm ready to go to war. Go for to Jock war. Peterson. Go to war. I he can says. and I will. Wow. All right. I don't think anybody is asked. Jock Peterson would ask you not to go to war for him. Well, he's going to know that I did. All right. Jock. I mean, he won't. He, pray, he definitely won't. He definitely won't. If you if he if the Orioles do sign Jock Peterson, can you say to his face that you were willing to go to war for him? I can you show will. up in battle regalia? Sure. All right. Whatever Jock Peterson needs. Pick an era. Pick a Roman dynasty. I am also going to go to war, Paul. All right. For our number four seed, Michael Brantley. Yep. Similar archetype to Jock Peterson. More of a DH, probably. You really wouldn't want him to play as much corner outfield. He still can. Yeah. But he's also never played first base 
he could probably do it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm assuming that a good hitting former corner outfielder can learn how to play first base. Would he want to? Maybe. Is the other question. If Maybe. you hand him enough money. I think he'd probably want to be close to an everyday designated hitter. Okay, and he's going up against? He's going up against Eric Hosmer, who profiles a little bit better as a backup first baseman. Left-handed hitting was not great last year, was traded midseason to the Red Sox at the deadline, didn't even get a ton of playing time in Boston. That's the matchup at four versus five. I like both these guys, as it should be a close four-five. That's typically, it's like the eight-nine in the March Madness bracket, Vivek saying that Brantley on YouTube saying that Brantley is a OBP God and he is, and he is a great hitter. Even at 36 years old, um, there is no Houston connection. So I know a lot of people might say, Oh, Brantley was great in Houston. Mike Elias probably, there's no overlap there because he joined the team after Elias had already come to Baltimore. Uh, The right shoulder surgery concerns me because he's 36 years old. Is he going to be able to come back from that? And will he want to, change scenery and go to an Orioles team that frankly has a lot of young guys that are itching to take, take his job or will he just want to be a solid hitter on a have a solid spot on a good team but I don't know if his spot in Houston is going to be as every day as it True. probably would be in Baltimore that's fair and then Eric Hosmer I like a lot for different reasons because if he comes back to what he was in his final couple of years with San Diego that's not only a good bat, that's a good first baseman. You know he can play. You're guessing Brantley can play a good first base. You know Eric Cosmer can play a good first base. He's a lefty. I think he fits a lot of what you could be looking for in a lefty first baseman. And frankly, Brendan, I think Hosmer, because of the injuries, because of last year with him not deci- deciding to not go to Washington in the trade, I think Hosmer might cost less. Yeah, I might go with Eric Cosmer here. But are you comfortable DHing? The question was asked about Jock Peterson mm-hmm. in terms of would you DH him over Kyle Stowers? Right. I would DH Michael Brantley over Kyle Stowers. I don't think I'd DH Eric Hosmer over Kyle Stowers. Probably not, but I think that's okay. I think it's okay, but I think Brantley would make more sense because you're signing somebody who is going to be playing pretty much every day. Yeah. If somebody in the outfield needs an off day, Kyle Stowers or Michael Brantley are solid options there. Whereas Eric Hosmer, I don't know if you want to DH him every day. I don't think he would want to take the money to be a backup first baseman somewhere. I think if you offer enough money, I think maybe I think Brantley's the better player. No question. Yes. But I think Hosmer might maybe the better fit just because I do think Stowers, they want to give Stowers an opportunity in the outfield. You already have Santander, keep in mind, who can play in the outfield. You know, they used him as a DH after Mancini was traded a lot last year. I think they're looking for more of a pure first baseman. So I would go Hosmer in this instance. Also, though, one thing to throw in there. I mentioned that he exercised his uh, no trade clause last trade deadline during the Juan Soto-Josh Bell trade. According to Ken Rosenthal, this was tweeted in 2021, Baltimore was on the 10-team list of teams he could exercise a no-trade clause for. However, Rosenthal also didn't have Washington on that list. And clearly, Washington was on that list. So I'm not sure if he has anything against the Orioles or Baltimore, and if he wouldn't want to sign here, if it's an East Coast thing. He did end up going to Boston. So that's a factor to consider here. Would he even want to come here? Yeah, my argument against Hosmer is that I think you would be able to offer Michael Brantley a pretty much everyday job, whereas Eric Hosmer, I don't think you can. 
I, I don't think you can offer him that everyday DH role because I think Stowers gets gets more playing time at DH over Hosmer. The, the comments appear to be on your side, Brendan. On my side of Michael Brantley? On your side of Michael Brantley. We're going Michael Brantley. He moves on. We will preview quickly the 3-6 matchup here, Paul. Josh Bell would be a designated hitter, backup first base, yep. switch hitter, versus Matt Carpenter, who had a Babe Ruth stretch of 40 <laughs> games this year, was terrible in St. Louis in 2021. Somebody who broke Babe Ruth's record, too. Yeah. Was not good with the Cardinals in 2021. Came out of nowhere in a brief stint with the Yankees at the beginning of the year, gets hurt, looked bad in the playoffs, but can play multiple positions. So Bell is the three seed here, I think, because he has he is the more sure thing. Because a year ago, Matt Carpenter, I don't think even made the bracket for us because he looked very much done. It looked like his yep. career was done. And frankly, he was also a, a lifelong St. Louis Cardinal at that point. I didn't expect him to sign with another team. I thought it was either going to be, look at how many guys on the Cardinals are either Cardinals or they're retiring. We're seeing it, you know, from so many guys. So this one's tough. Carpenter's injuries, his age really concern me here. And I think they're going to concern other teams. That's why Josh Bell will definitely get more money. But Josh Bell is not a good defensive first baseman. No. Art is any team in free agency going to look at Josh Bell and say, this guy can be our first baseman? Or is he just going to have to except that he's a DH going forward. I think there are teams that will look at Josh Bell and say you can be a starting first baseman. Okay. I think maybe the Orioles can sway Josh Bell and say you can be an everyday DH and occasionally play backup first base. Yeah. I think Bell makes a bit more sense if you were going to spend more money. I don't think Carpenter makes a ton of sense, even though he is versatile. We did see quality play from him at the beginning of this season. I don't know if the Orioles are buying that. Yeah, I would go Josh Bell here. Yeah, I think it's Bell as well. Because I, I think Carpenter is too much of a gamble. And I think the Orioles, if they're looking to sign a big bat, maybe they would mess around and give uh, Matt Carpenter a $1 million deal, but that just has the potential to backfire, i.e. a Jesus Aguilar type. Yep. Uh, all right. The two seed versus the seven seed, Brendan. Brandon Belt against Carlos Santana. Notice our first two seeds in this bracket, Jock. Peterson and Brandon Belt, both San Francisco Giants. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup. I think both of these players would fill a similar role. I don't think Brandon Belt would play as much, which is why he's the two seed instead of Carlos Santana, who is the seven seed, and Santana would profile more as that designated hitter backup first baseman role. Brandon Belt had a Really long stretch of quality play in San Francisco. Dropped off a bit last year. 676 OPS, 8 homers, 9 doubles in 78 games. It was the worst numbers of his career by a pretty wide margin. He missed time with COVID and knee injuries. Just a really down season for Brandon Belt. Carlos Santana, not a great season. Had a 202 average, but did hit 19 homers. Split time pretty evenly between first base and DH throughout the year. I think I lean belt here because he profiles a little bit better if the Orioles are looking at just purely a backup first baseman. It's close for me. I think it's close I think it's well. closer I think than this is a, a close match. I think this is closer than a 2-7 for me. And I think Carlos Santana makes a lot of sense because he is, I mentioned Jesus Aguilar, he is a better Jesus Aguilar. He is what the Orioles were hoping to get 
in a Jesus Aguilar. I think he still has the potential. Let's say Carlos Santana starts out as your first baseman, backup DH, and then somebody is ready to take that spot. Maybe Colton Cowser comes up and he's playing in the outfield. Carlos Santana looks like he's on the outs. Kyle Stowers is playing great. You have prospects. He can still get you trade value. He can still get you guys at the trade deadline if you sign him to a big deal. I do think he's going to command a lot of money. And I think Brandon Belt is really not going to touch him in terms of average annual value. Yeah, I think the question here is how much money are the Orioles going to spend? Yes. And I think if they spend a little bit less, they go Brandon Belt. If they spend a little bit more, which is kind of how we've been going at the top end of this bracket, is spending a little bit more money. If we're continuing that track at Santana... If we want to go with an option that's less money, it's Brandon Belt. The other concern for Santana, for both these guys, frankly, because Belt is going to be 35, Santana is going to be 37. Agent injuries. Agent injuries. Look at Nelson Cruz, who he was five years older. He's like 41. But the Nationals signed him to a lucrative deal this past offseason, and they were banking on him continuing to defy Father Time, and he didn't. And he fell back down to earth because he Father Time comes for everybody except for Tom Brady. So... I think that a 37-year-old Carlos Carlos Santana and a 35-year-old Brandon Belt have those concerns. I would go with Carlos Santana here, personally, because I think if the Orioles do want to make a splash in their lineup, Santana would make a, I don't know about sizable, but he would make a difference in the lineup. He would be a bigger bat that for an offense that was 20th in the league in most offensive categories, OPS, homers, they were 15th. So I would go with Santana because I think he makes you a better offensive team. Yeah, I'm going to go with Santana as well. Whoa. I think if I'm staying true to the arguments I've made for Peterson, Brantley, and Bell, yeah. it's that if you're adding a big bat that you want to play close to every day, you should spend a little bit more money on a quality left-handed hitting DH. Yeah, And all of these guys fill that category, so I'm going to go Santana. And if they were to sign Carlos Santana, I think he would be pretty much your everyday DH. I think you would give him that spot and, you know, occasionally play him at first base when you want to give Mountcastle a day, a day off. Yep. All right. Should we move on to this side of the bracket, Brendan? Yeah, we should. Uh, we have some comments on YouTube uh, asking about what the Orioles need specifically and saying that they need, you know, backup catcher, starting pitcher. We're getting to starting pitcher. We know the yes. Orioles need starting pitcher. This is the category we're looking at. So what the Orioles might be looking for in a starting pitcher, we don't quite know. Last year, they went out and signed Jordan Lyles to a one-year deal with a 2023 option that they have yet to decide upon, and they still have until five days after the World Series to make their decision on Jordan Lyles' $11 million option for next year. And that is a major X factor in all this, because if they opt to bring him back, they may be looking less to sign a free agent starting pitcher. I think they still will probably upgrade or at least look to add, but I don't think they'll be looking for an ace. They won't be looking for a number two or number three. They might be looking for somebody who comes a little bit cheaper, maybe has a higher upside, but has a much, much lower floor. Yeah, I've made this argument when we talked about Jordan Lyles on the previous podcasts, which is that Again, if you were trying to make a playoff push, maybe you need to look less at a number four, number five starter, which Jordan Lyles profiles a little bit better as, and somebody who could be your second or third best starter on this team next year, which is a lot of the names that we have. Yeah, so if they don't bring back Lyles as well, though, I do think that they may look for somebody, not a pure innings eater like Lyles, but a more stable force in the rotation. I think they will take a 
smaller swing. They'll swing for contact. They won't swing for power yep. in this instance. Our one seed in this bracket, because I think that he can be a stable force in the rotation, not an ace, maybe not even a number two, but I think he can be a solid veteran on this team, give you a lot of innings, give you some good starts, is Jamison Tyone of the New York Yankees going up against the ace of the free agent class. Yeah. Unless Jacob deGrom hits free agency, in which Jacob deGrom, who did not make this bracket, sorry, will be the ace of the free agent class. Yeah, I think we had to throw in Carlos Rodon because it's at least, I think the Orioles are at least going to throw out the possibility of going after Rodon. He makes sense in theory, but he makes sense for every team. He makes sense for every team. There's not a team in baseball that is not going to be looking at Carlos Rodon and say, man, it would be nice to add this 30-year-old left-handed ace to the rotation. Of course it would be. I think the Orioles might just get outbid for Rodon, whereas Tyone, I think it makes a bit more sense. He probably profiles as a number two, number three starter in the rotation. He's a solid option, has an ERA below four at 391. He's a solid pitcher. I think Tyone gets my vote. Yeah, Tyone also had 177 innings pitched last year. So he's going to eat some innings for you, but a slightly lower ERA, like you said, Brendan, than Jordan Lyles. So I think he's a slightly better option he's probably going to cost a little bit more may take more than a one-year deal may take two or three yeah it could be a three for 30 sort of deal but i think carlos rodon is going to sign with a massive dollar amount with several years i think that he is going to get his money this offseason i could be wrong because i thought that last year and he ended up signing for san francisco with an opt-out which he's likely to use here um, so I think that Rodon, with his 288 ERA, his 12 strikeouts per nine, which led the league, is just going to be out of the Orioles' price range here. I'm going to go Tyone. Yeah, Tyone makes more sense. All right, 4-5. We've got a couple interesting guys here. Mike Clevenger, 32-year-old for San Diego. You might men- remember him, of course, with Cleveland when he was one of the better pitchers in the American League. Not so much as of late. 4-3-3 ERA, only seven strikeouts per nine. He did have 114 innings pitched. It was important to see that he was pretty healthy last year, but then we saw him in the NLCS and he couldn't record an out against the Phillies. And then Ross Stripling is the five seed. More intriguing, I think, for the Orioles. 33 years old with Toronto last year. He started out of the bullpen after he signed a one-year $3.79 million deal with the Blue Jays, but then Hyunjin Ryu got hurt. Stripling was put into the starting rotation and... Performed admirably. 301 ERA, had 10 wins, whipped just over one. This one is, I think you're taking a bigger swing with Mike Clevenger, but lower floor. Whereas Stripling, I think, has the floor of a good bullpen piece. If he doesn't turn out to be a starter in your rotation from start to finish, I think you can rely on him out of the bullpen. Yeah, this is, you're either taking a big swing or you're playing it safe with Clevenger against Stripling. You mentioned Clevenger's struggles this year, did have Tommy John surgery, but had a 320 ERA in five seasons in Cleveland before he goes to San Diego. So if you think that Mike Clevenger can be that pitcher, then maybe you're able to sign him here for a little bit less money, get him on almost a prove-it deal, And maybe Mike Clevenger can turn into an ace that he was looking like in Cleveland for a little bit. Ross Stripling probably isn't going to be better than your third or fourth best starter in the rotation, but he has a lot of experience out of the bullpen. Pitched in 32 games this year, 24 of them were starts. You mentioned the great ERA in Toronto. I think that would make sense for an Orioles team 
that has some good young options that could potentially be taking starting rotation spots moving forward. If you want to look at halfway through the year, maybe John Means will join the rotation. Well, not maybe. John Means will be joining the rotation at some point halfway through the year, probably. Uh, yeah, assuming he's healthy. And then maybe D.L. Hall takes a rotation spot as well when the Orioles are hoping to ramp him up and get him into that starting rotation. So Stripling would make a ton of sense as somebody who could be a consistent starter for the first half of the year. Once guys file into the starting rotation, you can move Stripling into the bullpen. He can be a solid long reliever, eat some innings for you. I think it would make sense. This spot here that goes to Mike Clevenger could have also gone to Noah Syndergaard, somebody yep. who also struggled with injuries. Clevenger had Tommy John. Syndergaard last year, got a one-year, $21 million contract from the Angels based purely on his track record. Health was a major concern like it, it is for Clevenger, but they were banking on him returning to form, and he didn't quite get there. Clevenger, I think, fits into a similar boat, and I think a team could be willing to sign him to a major dollar amount this offseason because they are looking at the upside, whereas Stripling, I don't think, has that upside. So I think that Stripling will cost less, and frankly, I think that he's going to get the upset over Clevenger here in my in my book. What yeah, do you think? I, I have Stripling as well. Because right. I think halfway through the year, if you're looking at John Means and D.L. Hall potentially joining this rotation, it would be really nice to have somebody like Stripling with the flexibility to move very comfortably into the bullpen. All right, Ross Stripling moves on. Now we have a 3-6 matchup of Nathan Uvaldi and Chris Bassett. Now, Uvaldi has been solid for Boston for several years now. He's had his ups and downs. He's looked great in the playoffs at times. He's had some struggles in the regular season. He was good last year. He had a 3.78 ERA, eight strikeouts per nine, 109 innings pitched, so didn't pitch as many as some of the other guys on this list, but solid for somebody who was going into his age 33 season. And then the sixth seed in Chris Bassett presents a little bit more upside. He's 34 years old, had a 3.42 ERA, eight strikeouts per nine, 181 innings pitched, he was an all-star with Oakland in 2021, ended up getting traded for several prospects uh, before the season started. This is going to be a situation to monitor, is the New York Mets, because you have Chris Bassett, who is hitting free agency. You have Taiwan Walker, who is hitting free agency. You have the Jacob deGrom situation, who's probably likely to opt out and could hit free agency, get a huge dollar amount. And then you have Trevor Williams, Trevor Williams, who is also a starter slash reliever. You have Carlos Carrasco, who could decide to become a free agent. Are the Mets going to let one of these guys go? I think we put Chris Bassett on this list because I think that he makes the most sense to hit free agency of the guys on that list. I think the, the Mets will probably re-sign DeGrom. I think they're going to go hard after Taiwan Walker because he's 30 years old. He's four years younger than Chris Bassett. And I think Chris Bassett is going to get a lot of money from some team. I don't think it's going to be the Mets. Yeah, this matchup is interesting. I think kind of the last two matchups we have in the starting pitcher side of the bracket are fun because they're two very similar pitchers and you're kind of just deciding between which one. Yeah. I think if you are giving Bassett and Evaldi similar money, I think they'll get similar money in free agency. Bassett might get a little bit more. I think if you're giving them similar money based on the track record, I think the Orioles are more likely to go Bassett. I think so, too. I worry, though, that his market could get out of control. 
It could, but I think the same could be said for Nathan Avaldi. This is a guy who was fourth in Cy Young voting in 2021, yeah. has a solid track record in Boston over the last few years. And yes, last year was a bit of a down year for Avaldi, but it wasn't a huge down year. I think the tier one of starting pitchers in free agency this year is Carlos Rodon, it's Justin Verlander, it's Jacob Bagram if he hits the free agent market. I think these two guys headline tier two. I'd say so. I, I think you could probably put Tyone in that category, maybe Noah Syndergaard in that category, but I think Avaldi and Bassett are better pitchers than Tyone and Syndergaard. And I worry that tier two pitchers last offseason got paid a good amount. Look at Eduardo Rodriguez with Detroit. John Gray. Look at John Gray. I'm going to go Bassett here, but I worry that his market is going to go out of control. Because remember, we had John Gray in the in the bracket last year, and he got paid way more than either of us thought he would. Yeah, I'm going to go Bassett, too. I think if the Orioles do end up spending this kind of money, I think Bassett is just more likely than Evaldi. But I think it's entirely possible that the Orioles just get priced out of this Bassett-Evaldi category altogether. All right. Two seed is Matthew Boyd, lefty. Pitched for Seattle last year. He actually started with San Francisco signed a one-year $5.2 million deal with them with an already torn flexor tendon. They knew that he had that injury and he was going to miss significant time. Didn't end up pitching for them at all because they traded him to the Mariners who used him out of the bullpen exclusively where he was good in 10 games. one three five ERA, but only 10 games. And then the seven seed here is another Padres pitcher, and that's Sean Manaya, Another guy who I think represents a higher ceiling, but perhaps a lower floor because he wasn't very good last year. An ERA very close to five, had a 1.3 whip in 28 starts, 30 games. But before that, 2021 with Oakland, ERA under four, 391, which is what Tyone had this past year. So are you banking on getting that version of Sean Manaya or the Sean Manaya that had a 496 ERA with the Padres? Yeah, it's a similar discussion to what we just talked about with Mike Clevenger. But Manaya, I think, is just a little bit worse. There are some injury concerns there, similar to Clevenger as well. In his last kind of full healthy season before 2021 as well, he had a 359 ERA in 2018. But you're getting a four years ago at that point. So you have to look back a little bit for Manaya with a solid track record there. Matthew Boyd, I think, is just a little bit better than Shaw Manaya doesn't have as low of a floor as Manaya. He was good in Detroit, was only used out of the bullpen in Seattle, interestingly, in 10 games, but he had an excellent ERA in those 10 games, an ERA of 135. So I'd go with Matthew Boyd. I think he has probably as much upside, if not more upside than Sean Manaya, and doesn't have as many of the concerns from last year as Manaya does. Both lefties, and I think the Orioles will have a strong case to make to lefties. Because the wall is pushed back, they can say, hey, you don't have to worry too much about right-handed hitters hitting that, <laughs> conquering that wall. Because look at what it did to some of the power numbers of guys that came into Camden Yards last year. So they may be able to convince one of these lefties to not sign at a discount, but maybe convince them to sign in Baltimore in a market that, frankly, has not been able to court pitchers in the free agent market. I'm going to go with Boyd as well here, but I do think there is a lower floor than we might think because of that injury history and because he only pitched in 10 games last year. How many innings can you rely can you reasonably expect from him this year? You don't want him to go out there and probably throw 150 innings after he was barely used in 2022. I agree. So Matthew Boyd, though, I think because he has that slightly uh, you know higher floor, I think he moves on here. I agree. And then that 
concludes the first round of the starting pitcher bracket. We move over to the the middle infield region, Brandon. Yeah, the middle infield region is an interesting one because you don't really know what the Orioles are going to do at second base or at shortstop. There are a ton of good internal options. We know that Gunnar Henderson is going to be starting somewhere, whether it's shortstop or third base. How does Ramona Rios fit into the mix? Now, Gold Glove Award winner Ramona Rios, is he your third baseman? You want to stick him over there defensively because he's so good? Is he a utility guy? What do we see from Jorge Mateo? Are the Orioles comfortable sticking with him and his kind of lack of offensive production? How close to the bigs are Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz? Can they factor in? How does Taron Vavra factor in? There's a ton of scenarios here for the Orioles middle infield. And what we essentially broke down was that, hey, if the Orioles are going to sign a middle infielder, which we think there's a pretty good possibility that they will, they'll probably sign somebody who is good enough to be an everyday starter, whether that be at second base or at shortstop. So those are our options here. Yeah, they probably are going to get priced out of a Dansby Swanson who missed this bracket. He's on the bubble. Bubble burst on him. Carlos Correa did make the bracket. I think he's the one that they might splurge on. But other than that, uh, Trey Turner made the bracket, but he's an eight seed. Yeah. I don't think that they're quite willing to commit that kind of money to a guy that, frankly, is going to be a great player. I mean, those guys are great players. Xander Bogarts, who also missed the, the bracket, is going to be a great player for you. But you're hoping that you can get a good player in Jordan Westberg. Trey Turner is probably going to lose in this first-round matchup. <laughs> this is our, our one versus it, eight. Man. Adam Frazier against Trey Turner. Again, this is where we need to emphasize that this is not our what-would-make-sense bracket or a what-would-we-do bracket if we had a ton of money because what I would do is give Trey Turner a whole bunch of money, be the Orioles' starting shortstop, and I think it makes sense to do that. But are the Orioles going to do that? I don't think so. I think a player like Adam Frazier, who is our one seed, makes a lot more sense. He could come in and be your starting second baseman every day. He also has the capability of playing the outfield as well. So if Frazier turns into maybe a, a highly priced utility player, I think that's still a valuable player to have on the roster, which is why Frazier is the one seed and I have him beating Trey Turner. I do as well. I think he moves on. He's projected, according to Spot Track, to make $10 million average annual value. On his next contract, that's a lot to be giving to a guy that you mentioned might turn into a super utility player for you. But I think that Adam Frazier deserves, if he signs with this team, he deserves a starting spot. Because prior to 2022, when he had a down year, he was very good. 2021 All-Star with Pittsburgh and then the Padres uh, was traded to Seattle and just didn't give the Mariners the kind of production that they were hoping for. So maybe you're able to sign him on a slightly cheaper deal and you're counting on a bounce back. And you could be looking in this free agent period for a Rugnet Odor upgrade. You know, think about what Rugnet Odor gave you defensively at, at second base. I know he was much maligned for what he did on offense, but his defense was certainly valuable there. And before Jordan Westberg is ready to take the reins, perhaps, maybe Adam Frazier makes sense as your opening day second baseman. Yeah, we're getting a comment on YouTube saying that Adam Frazier fills a similar role as Taron Vavra playing second base and outfield. It's the Kyle Stowers, Jock Peterson thing where you're, you're hoping that Taron Vavra turns into a player as good as Adam Frazier. Yeah. But Adam Frazier is that good right now. Yeah, both Stowers and... Vavra were kind of in the same tier prospect, both in the 10 to 15 range. 
you know, you like them. You hope you get good careers out of them, but you really don't know. Yeah. They are gambles. It's not like they're Adley Rutschmans. They're going to hit the ground running and be superstars. If they turn into Jock Peterson and Adam Frazier, that's incredible. That's the highest kind of upside. But Adam Frazier is Adam Frazier right now. Exactly. And Taron Vavra is not Adam Frazier yet. Our four versus five matchup is very interesting. Do the Orioles go with the super utility man in Josh Harrison, who just seems to have value on any team he goes to. He can play any position on the diamond, won't cost a ton of money, but he's probably in your lineup more often than not because somebody needs an off day and, hey, Josh Harrison can play that position. Or do they shell out the money for Carlos Correa? That's the question. <laughs> Thank you for setting the scene. Oh, it's it's been set. Let's, let's get the lights dimmed in here. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, all right. Quite a discussion to be had here. Yes. Josh Harrison, this is the ultimate, like you said, Brendan, super utility versus big money here. And in a vacuum, I think the Orioles go with super utility. But Carlos Correa is Carlos Correa. Mike Elias helped draft him number one overall when he was in Houston. I think the Orioles probably took a look at him last offseason. I don't know how close they got. I think they're going to get closer with Carlos Correa. I don't know if they will be... In the among the final three teams for Carlos Correa, but I think that if they're going to splurge on one free agent outside of the organization, offensively a bat, I think it would be Carlos Correa. I agree. He's not going to take any kind of discount to come to Baltimore, nope. just because he knows Michael Elias. <sighs> and hilariously, Paul, we are getting multiple comments about how good of a fit Josh Harrison would be, even though we really want Carlos Correa it's, to move on. And we didn't get any comments when we were trying to decide Austin Hedges or Roberto Perez. But of course, now when we want Correa, it's funny. Last podcast, I saw a lot of comments that said, I'm good without Correa. Yeah, that that's what all of the comments on People, YouTube are saying. Harrison is Harrison would make sense. Harrison would be a good fit. Carlos Correa would be overpriced and don't need him. Not worth it. People seem to have cooled on Carlos Correa in a year's time. Because last offseason, when he hit free agency, he was, I think, beloved by Orioles fans who were trying to court him. He did turn down a $35 million option from the yeah. Minnesota Twins. So he is going to want more than that, you would think, annually. I think they go with... I, I'm going to go with Josh Harrison here. What are you thinking? I want to go with Correa because I think if the Orioles shell out the money for somebody, I think it's Correa. But the comments are not with me. They are not. And also, I think the Orioles feel better right now about their infield, their middle infield, than perhaps they did a year ago. Because Jorge Mateo proved to be at least better than a super utility guy. He proved to be at least a serviceable starter if you need him to. Jordan Westberg won your minor league player of the year. He took all the steps necessary. Gunnar Henderson took all the steps necessary and then some. So I think the Orioles right now feel better about their middle infield going forward than perhaps they did a year ago. And that's why I think that they are much less likely to go after a Carlos Correa. Now we're getting some Correa comments, Paul. They're we're starting fighting. to be on my side. Correa was Elias's first major draft decision as the scouting director. Makes sense if he's Elias's first major signing as a GM. I like that comment. What are you thinking? 
I don't know. I'm torn. Josh Harrison makes sense because he probably doesn't need to start every day, and he is probably fine accepting that role as a super utility player. But I really do think if the Orioles are going to make one massive signing, that it would be Correa. All right. For funsies, let's put Carlos Correa. For funsies. And for funsies. funsies it's only wins it, out. It's only one round. I think he's going to get knocked out eventually. And I say this now, and he's going to go on a Cinderella-like miracle run and make it all the way to the Final Four. Probably. Uh, I, let's go, Carlos Correa. For funsies. You broke me down. I'll pr- <laughs> and also because we're like 40 minutes into this podcast. Whatever. Previewing <laughs> the next matchup. This one is interesting because both players have club options. Yes. So we're not sure if either of these players will actually hit free agency, which is why they're a little bit lower on this bracket. But Joey Wendell, who has a club option in Miami for not a ton of money. Gene Segura, who has a club option in Philly for a lot of money. I think Gene Segura if we're watching this playoff run for the Phillies, is probably returning to Philly. It's $17 million, which is a lot to give a guy of his age and production level, who's really never going to hit for all that much power, was frankly viewed as kind of a losing player before this season. But I think that he's kind of endeared himself now to that Phillies front office. I think they bring back Gene Segura. Joey Wendell is is curious, and I think that he fits a lot of what the Orioles might look for in a player here. I mean, he was an all-star in 2021 with the Rays. He split time evenly, almost exactly in terms of games played between third base, shortstop, and second base in 2022. And you might look for more versatility because Gunnar Henderson can play any of those positions in theory. You know, Jorge Mateo, if he's not what you think he can be, if he doesn't hit the ground running offensively, you may need a better shortstop. You want to maybe want to move Gunner there, or maybe you go with Joey Wendell at shortstop. So I think I would prefer Wendell. Yeah, I think Wendell makes more sense than Josh Harrison. And if Josh Harrison was bounced, I think Wendell is kind of a better version of Harrison there. So I go Wendell as well. All right, Wendell moves on. And then we have the two and the seven, Colton Wong and Donovan Solano. Yeah, Colton Wong is the two seed because I think he would make a ton of sense as being the starting second baseman, but he also has a club option, which is why he's not the one seed over Adam Frazier. If Colton Wong does hit the open market, I think he makes so much sense for Baltimore. Donovan Solano, a bit more of a utility guy as well, can play all over the field, just isn't as high of a quality of a player, and I don't know if you want to start him at any position and block, you know, a Jordan Westberg, whoever it might be. Yeah, if Colton Wong were just a free agent, if he didn't have that player option, or if he didn't have that team option, I I should say, I would love him as a fit for the Orioles. But it's really an $8 million decision for Milwaukee because it's a $2 million buyout and a $10 million option to bring him back. We have seen Milwaukee issue bigger contracts for guys that deserve it. I mean, we saw what they did with Josh Hader. So they're always trying to cut money. However, I do think that that's not a no-brainer for, Mo- for Milwaukee, but I do think they bring back uh, Colton Wong, which would kick him out of this market for the Orioles, and I would put Donovan Solano past Yeah, him. Colton Wong probably ranked a little bit too highly here at the two seed. As a pure he, fit, he makes a lot of sense. he's there as the fit, but I think you're right. I think he is, as we are viewing him as a very valuable player, I think the Brewers probably are as well. I think that player, excuse me, that club option is probably picked up. Solano also makes sense. He's still yeah. a solid player. Probably gives you a 700-plus OPS, can play multiple infield positions. I'll go with Solano here. All right, Solano moves on, and that completes the first round. 
and it only took an hour. It took an hour for us to get through the first round. It's like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. You feel kind of exhausted. You haven't moved. You've been eating wings and sitting on your couch. But now that we've presented arguments for each player, I think we can probably move through these matchups a little bit quicker. I sure hope we can. I sure hope so, too, for Amy Jennings' sake. Yes, I hope so. Let's go back now to we are down to our Sweet 16. Let's go back to the catcher region, Brendan, where we have the one seed... Kurt Casale against the four seed in Austin Hedges. What are you thinking? I think it's Casale. I do I too. I think the offensive upside with Hedges is just kind of non-existent, quite frankly. And I think the Orioles need somebody who's at least going to provide some value offensively. We saw that Torinos, when he was in the lineup last year, the lineup just wasn't as good. And obviously it's going to be a downgrade from Adley Rutschman whenever he needs a day off. But Casale is not as bad big of a drop off as Hedges. I go Casale here as well because Hedges a 489 OPS is just not getting the job done. Yeah. Uh all right. Casale moves on. Now we have Omar Narvaez, the 3 seed, and Roberto Perez is the 2 seed. You didn't really like Perez in the first round. I didn't really like either of these options, Paul. I think Omar Narvaez really only moved on for me past Gary Sanchez because I thought Sanchez was just going to be a starter somewhere. I don't think Narvaez makes a ton of sense as a fit. I mean, he's a left-handed hitter, which doesn't make a ton of sense looking at Adley Rutschman's splits. Perez, I think, might be a little bit too good and might not want to be a backup in Baltimore, but of the two, because he's a right-handed hitter, I'm going to go Perez. I will too. And I really don't think that, like I said, 21 games. It was 21 games. I know he had a 700 OPS. He has a solid track record, but I don't know if it's a starter's track record. He had a severe injury where he missed the vast majority of the season and he's going into his 34 season. So I don't think he is quite as good as perhaps we're making him out to be. Let's go Perez. All right, Roberto Perez moves on. We are down to Kirk Casale and Roberto Perez in the catcher region. Should we go back to Big Bat? Yeah, we do go back to Big Bat. We've been getting a lot of comments that I did want to address about Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu theoretically, I'd like to address the Jose Abreu situation. Would be an awesome fit because Jose Abreu... I made the case for this. He's really good at baseball. Off air, I promise. Yes, you did. He's great. Jose Abreu is not going to be a backup first baseman and I don't think he is going to be an everyday DH somewhere. I think he is going to be an everyday starter at first base in probably 20 other cities because he is... Very good at baseball. He is a very good first baseman, and he is going to cost a lot of money. I think he is priced out of this bracket. I do, too, and I like him a lot, but I agree. If they were looking, if they overpaid him to be a DH, he might take it, but also he's a righty. That would be awesome. And I think they were looking for a lefty, but yeah, I I agree. I think Abreu was considered. He was definitely in consideration, but he didn't make this. He could be wrong. He missed the cut because of the price tag. Exactly. I think both Jock Peterson and Michael Brantley are going to be relatively pricey because they are both professional hitters. I think Jock Peterson, given the fact that he has played first base in the past, would make more sense. And if you are looking for an everyday DH who can play some backup first base, Jock Peterson is more of a sure thing to be able to do that than Michael Brantley. I agree. I think Hosmer was closer to beating out Brantley in my mind. So, Jack Peterson was an easy decision over Trey Mancini. Sorry, Trey. So, Jack Peterson moves on uh, to our Elite Eight. He does. Now we've got the three versus the seven. 
And I think this is where my Cinderella is, Paul. <laughs> and I think my Cinderella have one. is Carlos Santana. I think so, too. I think too. Josh Bell might just get priced out of yeah. the role that we are looking at, which is designated hitter who can be a backup first baseman. He does. He can't play a corner outfield yeah. because he can't really play a first baseman while defensively. I think he will still be a starting first baseman somewhere, whereas I think Carlos Santana is more likely to take a DH role, which is kind of what we're looking at here. Imagine Josh Bell hitting bombs onto Utah Street from that the left be, side yeah, of the plate. He makes sense, but I just but don't also, know if it's... It's the money. Imagine Carlos Santana doing the same thing. It would be awesome. Yeah, It'd 19 be homers last year for Carlos Santana. He's still got some pop. Again, I think he's a better, much better, Jesus Aguilar. And I think he moves on for me as well. Carlos Santana. I didn't, wow. I didn't imagine myself falling for a Cinderella here. Look but at that. The there, seven seed. There goes Carlos Santana with the glass slipper falling behind him. And I am chasing after the pumpkin trying to catch him. All right. Back to the starting pitchers, Brendan. Back One seed, go. Jameson Tyone. Against the five seed, Ross Stripling. This one's tough because it is just a difference of what you're looking for. Are you looking for a number two, number three starter with some high upside who is only entering his age 31 season? May I present Jamison Tyone. But if you're looking for a solid starter who can easily translate to the bullpen, that's Stripling. I wouldn't put Tyone in the bullpen. I'm going to go Tyone. I, I think too. Tyone makes more sense if you are looking just for a well-established starter with high upside. If the Orioles decline Jordan Lyles' option and let him hit free agency and don't bring him back, I think Tyone is an upgrade. He does what Jordan Lyles does, but better. Yeah. So I think Jamison Tyone just makes too much sense here. Yeah, let's go Tyone. All right. Then we have Chris Bassett, who is the six seed, correct? Going up. Chris Bassett is the six. Against Matthew Boyd, who's the two. I think I like Matthew Boyd here. I think Chris Bassett makes a ton of sense on paper for the Orioles. But this is predictive. And am I predicting that the Orioles are going to spend enough money to get Chris Bassett? No. Here's the thing. If they bring back Jordan Lyles, I would love Matthew Boyd. Yeah. Because you're not. I think if they Boyd's don't. Boyd's not breaking the bank. Yeah, and I do think that they want somebody who can gobble up a few more innings if Jordan Lyles doesn't come back, which might make Chris Bassett more of a an option because in this instance, I think that Bassett is more of a sure thing, whereas Boyd is a higher upside guy. But Boyd still does have so, the upside. He's yes. just going to be entering his age 32 season. He's had good years in the past. He had a 389 ERA in 2020. No, no, yeah, he has great upside. I just right. don't know if he can if he can throw as many innings as they would like. So I, I went with Tyone because I said if the Orioles don't bring back Jordan Lyles, then I go with Tyone. I'm going to go with Boyd here because I think if the Orioles do bring back Jordan Lyles, Boyd makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I go Boyd as So well. that's kind of specious reasoning, but Matthew Boyd moves on to our uh, Elite Eight, and then let's go back to middle infield. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of comments that Adam Frazier would not be an upgrade over Taron Vavra. I have to very much disagree on that. He had a bit of a down year last season, so I understand that just looking at his numbers from last year, maybe you're not too excited about Adam Frazier, but this is a hitter who in years past has had an OPS of 750 or better. He is a solid hitter. He has great defensive versatility, and again, I like Taron Vavra. We've been on this podcast talking about the potential of Taron Vavra and what he could turn into if he turns into Adam Frazier, you are very happy with that. I think this is where it ends for Carlos Correa. It was a fun first round upset. 
It was. It was, you know, a Florida Gulf Coast beating Michigan State. Was that who they beat several years ago? Don't ask me to recall that. Yeah. It's no a Saint it's no Saint Peter's prep. That's uh or Saint Peter's whatever it was, Peacocks. You got it. Uh that was that's Carlos Santana. He's our Saint Peter's. Yeah, I'm gonna go out of Frazier here. I yeah. think they're just they feel too good about the options that they have in house to shell out a three hundred million dollar contract on a Carlos Correa. Yeah, for more Adam Frazier context, 779 OPS in 2021 was named an all-star. Down 2020, obviously, in a short sample size. 753 OPS in 2019. 798 OPS in 2018. 743, 767 in his previous seasons. All right. It's great production from Frazier. He's an upgrade. All right. And then the other matchup in the middle infield region here is Joey Wendell against Donovan Solano. Now, Solano was the seven seed beating Colton Wong, whereas Joey Wendell was the three seed beating six seed Gene Segura. I'm going to go Wendell here. Yeah, I think too. he makes more sense as a utility player. Obviously, this hinges on the Marlins not picking up his option for next season, but if it's not picked up, I think Wendell makes too much sense for this Orioles team. I agree. I like Wendell a lot for the Orioles. Uh, all right. That solidifies our Elite Eight. And now we are determining who goes to the Final Four. Brendan, (laughs) the catcher region, (laughs) the excitement is palpable. Catcher region, Kirk Casale, Roberto Perez. Roberto Perez, once again, making it to our Elite Eight like he he did last year. Begrudgingly been my Begrudgingly? <laughs> Whatever. Begrudgingly? That too. Okay. He has, I haven't been thrilled with this pick the last two rounds. So I'm going Casale. I, I am too. I, I gave him the one seed for a reason. I really like him in this, in this role. But again, I'm, I could be wrong. He could get a bigger money from a team out there in free agency. But I'm going to go with Kirk Casale. Moving on to our final four. That was so quick for an Elite Eight matchup. It anyway. was, but I think we've already made our cases for both these guys. It's Casale. Yeah. All right. Big bat. Big bat. Boy, this is a tough one. Jock Peterson, who I have been on record as saying that I would go to war for, against Carlos Santana. I think Peterson is going to get more money than Carlos Santana, but he also would play a different role on this team than Santana would. Peterson would be your everyday DH, occasional backup first base, and maybe a corner outfield as well. Carlos Santana would probably be close to your everyday DH. And your backup first baseman, but he can't play backup outfield. I wish we could push both these guys through. I do too. I like them I think both they a both lot. Makes sense. This is a complete toss-up for me. What are you thinking? Are you still sticking with your man for which for whom you would go to war? I still think it's Peterson. I, Mother, I he has transcripted. I, it is entirely possible that I am vastly overestimating the amount of money that He's the Orioles overseas. are going to spend in this offseason. He's going to war. But if you are serious about making a playoff push, you go get an all-star. You go get Jock Peterson, who is going to make a massive difference in the middle of this lineup. He instantly becomes your 3-4-5 hitter, wherever you want to put him. Santana is also good, and this is nothing against Carlos Santana. I just think Peterson is the better player. I think he fits exactly what the Orioles need, and I think if you're going to spend the money, that's where you spend it. I would agree, and you are, in this instance, there is a pretty large age gap here. Yes. Santana's going to be 37. Peterson's going to be 31, I believe. I'd rather give Peterson three or four years than give Carlos Santana. Three or four years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You think he's going to get three or four years I in free agency? I think if you're going to sign Jock Peterson, I think you need to sign him to a three-year deal. 
I think he didn't he sign a one year deal last offseason as kind of a prove it. I think he I don't think he's going to take three or four. I still go with Jack Peterson. I don't think I would hand him three or four. Even if it's two or three, I'd rather give Jock Peterson two or three years than giving Carlos Santana two. If he, he has to be two. able to play back up first base. He's moving on, which he can. He can, I think. But you're more confident in Carlos Santana. However, here's an, an extra wrench to throw into the situation. What if Austin Hayes' downturn continues and you need a better corner outfielder? then you would feel a lot better about Jock Peterson, obviously, playing out there than you might with uh, Kyle Stowers yep. or anybody else. Jock Peterson moves on to our final four. Starting pitcher, Jamison Tyone versus Matthew Boyd. Ooh, I think it's Tyone. I think Tyone just provides you more upside. Yeah. I think he is just the better pitcher. I think Matthew Boyd, you're hoping, could be your third best pitcher in a rotation. I think Jamison Tyone, that's probably your expectation. I think the Orioles probably don't bring... Actually, I think I gave it 55 that they would bring back Jordan Lyles. Eric on YouTube just called me a silly Billy. I don't know how I'm going to recover <laughs> oh from my that. gosh. I don't know. Uh, I might have to go. Yeah. I think Tyone does what Lyles does, but better. And Tyone, if the Orioles don't bring back Jordan Lyles, makes a lot of sense. And Boyd, I think, gives you some high upside, but I just don't know if he's the right fit for this team. Yeah, I think it's Tyone. All right. Wow, we're going chalk. Three one seats in the final four. We are. Will Joey Wendell upset Adam Frazier in the middle infield? I think it depends on, again, how we're looking at Joey Wendell. If we want to look at that club option as a factor here, then yeah, I think Adam Frazier probably moves on. But they're both similar fits. Joey Wendell can play a few more positions than Adam Frazier. I think Adam Frazier has higher upside. I think Frazier's also going to cost more money. I think it's kind of a toss-up for me. I think it's Joey Wendell for me because of the defensive versatility and because that Adam Frazier bounce-back season could come in 2023 or it could be the start of a downturn. And you don't want to hand somebody on this team $10 million for him to give you a 620, 650 OPS. Whereas Joey Wendell, I think, is a more sure thing. And at the very least, he can play multiple positions for you i would go with wendell they can i mean adam frazier can also play shortstop he's played it in the past joey wendell can play shortstop or third base probably isn't going to play as much outfield as adam frazier would yeah but you also don't have as much of a need in the outfield with adam frazier i don't know how much frazier would actually play the outfield and maybe that middle infield is just a little bit more valuable right now so you're leaning frazier i think i'm leaning wendell Okay, Wendell moves on to our final four. I think I'm with you on Wendell. I'll take it. Joey Wendell moves on to our final four, which is now set. Kurt Casale from the catcher region. Jamison Tyone from the starting pitcher region. Jock Peterson from the big bat region. And Joey Wendell from the middle infield region. Let's go Casale versus Tyone first. Who heads on to the championship? Will the Orioles sign a backup catcher, or are they more likely to sign a starting pitcher? Frankly, I think they sign both this offseason. Yeah, this discussion changes. This is no longer a position versus the same position. Yeah. Which do you think they're going to sign? This now turns into a discussion of which position do the Orioles need to sign more? They need to sign both. They need to sign a backup catcher. They need to sign a starting pitcher. I think it's probably more likely that they sign a starting pitcher. Wow. I you think, think they would roll into next year with the one of the five catchers that they have on their 40-man as a backup to Adley? I think they could. 
I, I would still be surprised if they did not sign a backup catcher. To be frank, I think they're going to sign both a backup catcher and a starting pitcher. But if I had to put my money on one, it's starting pitcher. I don't think there's any way they leave free agency without a starter. I think it's Kirk Casale for me because wow. I think that the Orioles very well could bring back Jordan Lyles and then sign somebody, a couple guys to $1 million deals. We're going to need help on this one yeah. because I don't think I'm straying off of Tyone. The guy who Tyone you, makes more sense. The guy who called you a silly Billy is now saying Tyone is the pick. Well, I think he's laughing at the fact that I was called a silly Billy. <laughs> he's not the one who called me that. But he is saying Tyone is the pick. But he is saying Tyone is the pick. Somebody said down goes Frazier. <laughs> Good line. Good line. All right. Do we come back to it? No, I think we go Tyone. We go Tyone? Because I like him a lot. Okay. I like him a lot. And Michael Andrews, you have decided <laughs> this win. Some guy named Michael Andrews. Congratulations. Congrats on YouTube. You have decided that Jamison Tyone is pulling out the win there. Yeah, going on to the championship. And then in the other half of the bracket, Brendan, set us up. Between Jock Peterson and Joey Wendell. I feel like I have to stick with Jock Peterson. I told everyone that I would go to war for Jock Peterson. And gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. Jock Peterson. <sighs> Jock Peterson makes a lot of sense. I think the Orioles are more likely to sign a backup first baseman, DH type corner outfielder than they are a middle infielder because they feel good about what they have in house. I think they'll probably sign two guys at those positions, you know, minor league deal one way, major league deal the other. I'm going to go with Jack Peterson as well. Jack Peterson. You have gone to war. Woo. Uh, Jameson Tyone versus Jack Peterson in our championship. All on the line. Jim Nance calling it for his final final four before Ian Eagle takes over. I just think it's more likely they sign a starting pitcher than a backup first base DH. Wow. Everyday sort of You're player. the man for whom you I went know, to war. I know. I know. But... I just don't see the Orioles leaving free agency without a starter. Jock Peterson also makes a ton of sense. What if that starter is Jordan Lyles? It very well could be. This is less of a discussion of, do I think it's more likely that the Orioles sign Jamison Tyone or Jock Peterson? And more of a discussion of, do I think it's more likely the Orioles sign a starting pitcher or a DH type? Somebody also saying if Cody Bellinger gets DFA'd, or if he gets, wouldn't be DFA'd, I think non-tendered, which he very well yeah, could be, be by on the Dodgers. List. He could. And last year, the Orioles picked up Rugnet Odor after he was DFA'd. So there could be somebody who's not yet a free agent that could hit free agency that the Orioles sign. Whereas with a starting pitcher, you're not going to have that option. With a backup first baseman, you could have that option. Jamison Tyone. You're going Tyone? Jamison Tyone. I want to go Jack Peterson so badly. <laughs> I really do. But what are you doing? But I'm going Tyone. Oh, Tyone. I just don't see the Orioles leaving this free agency period without a starting pitcher. We have decided that Jamison Tyone is that starting pitcher representative. So he's the winner. There it is. Welcome to Baltimore, Jamison Tyone. <laughs> yeah, we have made circled. the decision. Please let us know what you think. Did we make the correct decision? Did we totally botch it? Look, I'm just going for the reverse jinx here. Last year, Robinson Chirinos made the finals and lost, and the Orioles signed him. So maybe Jock Peterson makes the finals, loses. Orioles sign him. One shining moment. Had to do it again, didn't you? Yep. Love it. 
that concludes our free agency <laughs> bracket. After four days, it feels like. 12 hours. Thanks so much for tuning in. This was an hour and 15 minute podcast. <laughs> Absolute marathon. Which is kind of incredible considering the first round took an hour. Yeah. Honestly, we, we picked up the pace. We did. All right. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Please share this with your friends. Give us your comments. Give us your thoughts. If you want to call me a silly Billy on Twitter, that's where to find me. I'm going to start referring to you that as that from now on. I think you should. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings, our producer, uh, for this marathon pod. And uh, we will be back next week, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. is when we go live on YouTube and on Facebook. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.